welcome. I am your host, Nicole Nyberg. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner and also a proud preemie mama to my son, William, who just happens to be a former 23-weeker. So if you are a current or former NICU parent, you have come to the right place. I have been exactly where you are, and I know what you're going through. We will be discussing all things related to the neonatal intensive care unit for preterm and term infants, as well as some of the emotions and struggles parents endure along the way in the NICU and beyond. So tune in and get ready to become educated and empowered. This is the Empowering NICU Parents Podcast. While I make every effort to broadcast correct and up-to-date information, medicine is constantly evolving and advancing, and I continue to learn new things each day. Every NICU baby and their journey is different, and every institution varies in their practices as well. So please, always consult your obstetrician and your infant's physician for any medical issues or concerns. I am presenting from my personal experience and knowledge My opinions do not represent that of my employers. Hello, everyone, and happy holidays. I hope you are all doing well. On our last podcast episode, I continued to summarize the updated recommendations for care of the preterm and low birth weight infant from the World Health Organization that were just released on November 15th of this year, 2022. The recommendations are directed at a large target audience and are beneficial for national policymakers, supervisors, managers, NICU clinicians, plus more. I think it's extremely important for anyone who works with the preterm and low birth weight population to be aware of the updated recommendations by the World Health Organization. I also believe that it is important for parents of preterm or low birth weight infants to have some idea of what the recommendations entail and how it may impact the care given to your infant. So I will finish up discussing the recommendations today, spotlighting the most pertinent points. So stay tuned and get ready to get empowered as we continue to review the World Health Organization's recommendations for care of the preterm or low birth weight infant. This episode of our podcast is sponsored by Neotech. Infants in the NICU often require intravenous access for administration of IV medications and or IV fluids. For clinicians who prefer to start IVs with a transluminator, Neotech has the solution with NeoGlow. It is a transluminator that uses LED lights which are cooled to the touch. With multiple light setting options, the NeoGlow is adaptable for each clinician's preferences. Plus, its unique ergonomic design ensures the clinician's comfort as they use it. They are affordably priced, so a few could be purchased for your NICU or one for your own personal use. They are available in eight different colors and have a lanyard loop, so you will never misplace it. Or consider Neotech's NeoGlow Disposable, meant for single patient use to avoid cross-contamination. They are available with a bright white or red LED lights. They are compact and lightweight. Best yet, the power cord connects to any USB connection, and it does not require batteries. Visit neotechproducts.com to grab your NeoGlow for yourself or request a free sample or find the link in our show notes. 
NICU moms are a unique group of strong, brave, and proud women. It is not necessarily a group that you would choose to join, but once you are a part of it, you become part of a special tribe. To honor and celebrate all of the strong NICU mamas within the NICU community, we created NICU Mama Hats. Our trucker baseball hats are multicolored in a simple leather patch that says NICU Mama. Show your pride for your brave little one and celebrate your personal strength as a NICU Mama with these adorable hats. Or consider purchasing one as a gift for that strong NICU mom you know and adore. Our hats are adjustable, so one size fits all. We ship for free in the United States, plus a portion of the proceeds from each hat sale go into our foundation to help and support current NICU families. Grab your hat now at empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash hats. That's empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash H-A-T-S. Or find the link in our show notes. Now back to the episode. As I mentioned, we are going to continue our review of the World Health Organization's recommendations for the care of the preterm or low birth weight infant. If you missed our previous two episodes on this topic, I highlighted more about who the World Health Organization is and how they went through a very thorough process to develop these updated recommendations that were just released. If you have not already, I encourage you to go back and listen to our 42nd and 43rd podcast episodes, a review of the World Health Organization recommendations for the care of preterm or low birth weight infant, part one, and two, by heading to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 42 and empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 43. To briefly summarize, the World Health Organization is the United Nations agency that connects nations, partners, and people to promote health, serve the vulnerable, and keep the world safe. Their goal is that everyone everywhere can attain the highest level of health. They lead the global effort to promote healthier lives through all stages of life, from newborns to the elderly. They have several different committees that help to develop global guidelines that are meant to help end users or clinicians like myself make informed decisions on whether, when, and how to undertake specific actions such as clinical interventions, diagnostic tests, or public health measures with the aim to achieve the best possible individual or collective health outcomes. For these particular recommendations, the World Health Organization developed a steering group that consisted of 25 international experts who examined the most up-to-date evidence from low to high-income countries. The recommendations include guidelines for preventive and promotive care, care of complications, family involvement and support, and a good practice statement. Now, to help you follow along, we created a free PDF that you can get at empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash who or W-H-O. Okay, let's get to it. A11, probiotics, which states 
that probiotics may be considered for human milk-fed, very preterm infants, or those less than 32 weeks gestation. This is a new recommendation by the Guideline Development Group, and they stated that only probiotics, especially formulated for preterm or low birth weight infants that meet regulatory standards should be used, and clear instructions for safe use should be given to health workers. The group did not make specific recommendations on which species or strain should be used, as well as which formulation is preferred, whether it be powder or drops. The guideline developmental group was also unable to make specific recommendations on the dose, timing, and duration of probiotic use, as there just was insufficient evidence and the decision should be based upon clinical judgment. It is likely that you've heard of probiotic use in adults, but perhaps not in the neonatal population. Probiotics are formulations given by the enteral route that contain bacteria, bifidobacterium, or lactobacillus, or fungi, like saccharomyces. Probiotic supplements are available over-the-counter with a variety of formulations. Probiotics work by colonizing the mucosal surface of the gastrointestinal tract. Colonizing means that there is a presence of bacteria on a body surface, but it does not cause a disease in the person. Probiotics also modulate the intestinal microbiome and promote mucosal barrier functions. The studies that specifically reviewed probiotic use in the preterm or low birth weight population over the last 10 years have shown varying effects, including reductions in sepsis and necrotizing enterocolitis, or NEC, but they have also shown an increase in bacterium and fungemia. According to recent reports from large collaborative databases in the United States, approximately 10% of extremely low gestational age neonates receive a probiotic preparation during their stay in the NICU. But there remains to be a wide variation in practice amongst units. Large meta-analyses of these trials have demonstrated the efficacy of multiple strain probiotics in reducing necrotizing intercolitis and all-cause mortality. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, due to the lack of FDA-regulated pharmaceutical-grade products in the United States, as well as conflicting data on safety and efficacy and potential for harm in a highly vulnerable population, current evidence does not support the routine, universal administration of probiotics to preterm infants, particularly those with a birth weight of less than 1,000 grams. Centers who decide to administer probiotics to select preterm infants should discuss the potential risks and benefits of this therapy with parents prior to starting. Next up is A12, or emollients. This is also a new recommendation, and it states that application of topical oil to the body of preterm or low birth weight infants may be considered. Emollients are moisturizing treatments applied topically or directly to the skin including ointments, creams, and natural vegetable or plant topical oils like sunflower or coconut oils. The skin of preterm infants is structurally and developmentally different than that of even a term infant, which makes them more prone to skin injury and trauma. Skin trauma can lead to serious consequences for infants in the NICU, including problems with thermoregulation, fluid and electrolyte balance, diversion of calories for tissue repair, discomfort, potential toxicity from absorbed substances, and an increased risk for infection. 
We dedicated an entire podcast episode to why preterm infants are at an increased risk for skin injury and followed it up with skin care guidelines for the NICU on our 34th and 35th podcast, which if not already, I recommend you listen by heading to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 34 and empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 35. Topical emollients can improve skin integrity and have protective barrier functions, but studies have shown that daily application of topical ointments increases the risk for hospital-acquired infections. Therefore, it is not recommended to use prophylactic application of topical ointments. They should be exclusively used in cases of severe skin dryness, cracking of the skin, and or if the infant has a fissure. Studies have shown that the use of vegetable oils rich in linoleic acid, like in sunflower oil and coconut oil, have been shown to improve the barrier function and hydration. Therefore, the guideline development group suggested that sunflower or coconut oil may be used and that the initiation and duration of use should be based on clinical judgment. During the application process, the oil should be applied gently to avoid any disruptions of the skin integrity. Next, we will move on to the care for complications section. So B1 is CPAP for respiratory distress which states continuous positive airway pressure, or CPAP therapy, is recommended in preterm infants with clinical signs of respiratory distress syndrome. This particular guideline is labeled as a strong recommendation with a moderate certainty of evidence. Respiratory distress syndrome is very common in premature infants and a major cause of morbidity and mortality. To learn more about the pathophysiology behind respiratory distress syndrome, We covered it in great detail back all the way on episode eight, take a deep breath, diving into respiratory distress in newborns. To go back and listen, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode eight. Now, continuous positive airway pressure or CPAP has been the standard of neonatal respiratory care in the NICU for decades. It was actually first introduced by Gregory and colleagues back in 1971. CPAP delivers a constant level of positive pressure or PEEP to the baby's alveoli, which prevent the alveoli from collapsing. It maintains functional residual capacity, it facilitates gas exchange, improves lung compliance, and airway resistance. We also covered non-invasive ventilation, including more details on CPAP, back on episode 11, which was called Non-Invasive Ventilation in the NICU, a review of NIPPV, CPAP, high-flow nasal cannula, and low-flow nasal cannula 2, which you can go back and listen at empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 11. Although CPAP has been around for years, it continues to be used routinely in infants with respiratory distress in many healthcare facilities globally. The guideline development group did note that there was limited data on the timing of initiation and duration of CPAP. Based on the majority of the trials reviewed, the guideline development group suggests that CPAP may be considered as soon as a diagnosis of respiratory distress syndrome is clinically suspected, and the duration of use should be based on clinical judgment. They also recommended that the implementation of CPAP must be done with skilled staff, quality equipment, 
and humidified blended oxygen. It should only be provided when its use can be well monitored at the minimum of a level two intensive care unit. B2 is continuous positive airway pressure immediately after birth, which states that CPAP therapy may be considered immediately after birth for very preterm infants or those less than 32 weeks gestation with or without respiratory distress. Some NICUs administer CPAP immediately after birth for infants at risk or those born prematurely, regardless of their respiratory status, rather than waiting and assessing for clinical symptoms of respiratory distress. A 2019 study by Lamb et al. found that in stable preterm infants, early CPAP use may be a non-pharmacologic and safe therapeutic strategy to stimulate lung growth. The use of early CPAP may not only benefit the preterm lung by minimizing injury, but clinical and animal data indicate that the mechanical strength of the lung with CPAP may actually stimulate lung growth. I know we practice this in one of the units that I worked in, that any baby born prior to 32 weeks, they remained at least on CPAP at lower PEEPs with low oxygen levels until they reached 32 weeks gestation, just to promote that lung growth. Next up is B3. For preterm infants who need continuous positive airway pressure or CPAP therapy, bubble CPAP may be considered rather than other pressure sources, as in ventilator CPAP. As you may know, and as I said, we discussed more detail back on our 11th episode of our podcast, CPAP can be delivered via different apparatuses, including water seal, otherwise known as bubble, or via a ventilator, or there is infant flow-driven CPAP. This recommendation is based on evidence from trials that compared bubble CPAP with ventilator CPAP, or infant flow-driven CPAP. Despite this recommendation, though, it is important to say that each institution will have their own practice or protocols in place regarding their preferred method for delivering CPAP, so it will be unit-dependent. Next is B4, methylxanthines for treatment of apnea which states that caffeine is recommended for the treatment of apnea in preterm infants. This particular recommendation was considered a strong recommendation with a moderate certainty of evidence. Apnea, or the cessation of breathing, is common in preterm infants, with the incidence being inversely related to gestational age. Apnea is known to occur in almost all extremely preterm infants or those born prior to 28 weeks gestation. Although apneic events are common, intermittent hypoxic episodes in the first two months of life are associated with an increased risk of chronic conditions, including retinopathy of prematurity and adverse neurodevelopmental outcomes. So it is important to minimize the occurrence of apneic episodes as much as possible. Administration of theophylline, aminophylline, and caffeine have been used to manage apnea for over 50 years. Methylxanthines are available in either intravenous or oral formulations. Caffeine is given once a day, whereas theophylline and aminophylline are given three times a day. The justification of this recommendation stems from evidence of moderate benefits, including decreased incidence of death and bronchopulmonary dysplasia, decreased need for mechanical ventilation, and decreased neurodevelopmental disability. B5 is methylxanthine for extubation, 
which states, Caffeine is recommended for the extubation of preterm infants born before 34 weeks gestation. This is a strong recommendation with a moderate certainty of evidence. The evidence for this recommendation only stems from studies of infants less than 34 weeks gestation, but it does suggest that caffeine or other methylxanthines should also be considered for extubation of preterm infants born at or after 34 weeks gestation and before 37 weeks, but all of this should be based on clinical judgment. The guideline development group suggested that the dose of caffeine should be given 24 hours before the planned extubation. There's an unplanned extubation, which can happen. Caffeine should be given as soon as possible after the extubation, but with the goal for it to be given within six hours of the extubation, and the infant should continue to receive it for six days. Although there was limited data on the dosage based on the largest trials, the guideline development group suggested a 20 milligram per kilogram loading dose and a maintenance dose of 5 milligrams per kilogram for six days. To close out the care for complications section, and the last bit on caffeine is B6 methylxanthines for prevention of apnea, which states that caffeine may be considered for the prevention of apnea in preterm infants born before 34 weeks gestation. Although the guideline development group noted that there was limited data on the dose, timing of initiation, and duration of administration, they suggested a loading dose of 20 milligrams per kilogram, followed by a daily maintenance dose of 5 milligrams per kilogram. The duration of the caffeine administration should be based on clinical judgment, since every infant in the NICU and their clinical course is different. Some infants may require the use of caffeine for longer periods of time than others. Last, but definitely not least in my opinion, is the final section, Family Involvement and Support, which starts with C1, Family Involvement in Routine Care. This new recommendation states that family involvement in the routine care of preterm or low birth weight infants in healthcare facilities is recommended. The guideline is strongly recommended with a low to moderate certainty of evidence. Based simply on the title of our podcast, but especially if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I could spend the entire episode plus so much more speaking on this topic, but I will try to be succinct and keep it brief. It has been widely accepted throughout literature that family involvement is not only beneficial for the infant and parents, but it is actually a critical key component in the overall outcomes for the entire family unit. Parents of infants who have been admitted to the NICU undergo a large amount of stress. They are physically separated from their infant, exposed to an unfamiliar environment where healthcare workers are caring for their infant, and they lose their identity as parents, which can negatively impact their ability to bond with their baby. Parent-infant attachment is crucial, and if not fostered well, it can negatively impact the infant's long-term trajectory. Each healthcare facility has their own policies regarding parental involvement, but the trend is to encourage family-centered or family-integrated care where parents are involved with guided instruction on helping to care for their own infant, to participate in skin-to-skin care, and to be involved in medical decision-making. The trials reviewed by the Guideline Development Group varied widely in the intervention content, but they all showed consistent and similar effects. 
Therefore, the Guideline Development Group recommended that simple family involvement interventions, such as the delivery of direct bedside care and involvement in medical decision-making, could be implemented in all settings. The Guideline Development Group noted that family involvement strategies reduced the length of hospital stay, improved breastfeeding, and reduced parental anxiety and stress. Not only that, with the review, parents reported wanting to be involved, and they would like to take an active role in deciding what interventions are given to their infants, which is so fantastic. The beauty in applying family-integrated care in NICUs is that there is not a special infrastructure needed to implement it in regards to special equipment or supplies. Although, adequate room and comfortable reclining chairs or beds should be available to promote skin-to-skin care. But more so, some units need a shift in their practice and structure to begin to fully embrace parents as active care partners to successfully implement family-integrated care. To follow that up is C2 Family Support, which states, Families of preterm or low birth weight infants should be given extra support to care for their infants, starting in healthcare facilities from birth and continued during follow-up post-discharge. The support may include education, counseling, and discharge preparation by health workers and peer support. Supporting NICU families to care for their infant is a basic and integral component of any health system. Unfortunately, NICU families still feel ill-equipped to care for their preterm or low birth weight infants upon discharge. The Guideline Development Group noted that education, counseling, and discharge preparation had important effects on improving parent-to-infant interaction, improving breastfeeding, and decreasing parental anxiety, stress, and depression. Due to preterm and low birth weight infants often needing care from multiple disciplines, careful coordination of care is needed post-discharge. The Guideline Development Group also recommended peer groups for families to support their mental well-being. Any parent that has brought an infant home from the NICU could speak on the stress and anxiety that goes along with it. It is imperative that while the infant is in the NICU, parents are involved and that education and preparation for home start from the beginning so parents feel confident in caring for their infant when it is time to bring them home. C3 is home visits, which states home visits by trained health workers are recommended to support families to care for their preterm or low birth weight infant. This is a new, strong recommendation with a moderate certainty of evidence. Studies over the last 10 years in high, middle, and low-income countries have shown that home visits done both antenatally and postnatally can reduce maternal and newborn mortality. The Guideline Development Group noted that trained health workers can include nurses, midwives, doctors, and community health workers. They recommended that extra home visits should be made for preterm and low birth weight infants in addition to the routine scheduled follow-ups, but the frequency should be based on clinical judgment. Home visits have shown an increase in exclusive breastfeeding rates, immunization visits, parental infant attachment, and they decreased parental stress. And finally, for the one good practice statement, which is new, C4, parental leave and entitlements should address the special needs of mothers, 
fathers, and other primary caregivers of preterm or low birth weight infants. The Guideline Development Group made this good practice statement in recognition of the costs and burdens to parents and families of preterm or low birth weight infants. Families of preterm and low birth weight infants have increased financial responsibilities, stress, anxiety, and depression. Leave time is meant to help families care for the infant, and families may also need financial support for transportation or to assist them in caring for their other children, as well as all of the costs of the hospitalization. Based on the studies in the review, the Guideline Development Group recommend that parental leave and entitlements should include additional days of excused leave from work and additional financial payments. They noted that parental leave and entitlements are in place in some countries, but they recommend that they should be expanded globally. I love this good practice statement. For myself and so many other NICU parents, we have had to carefully manage our time off while our infant is ill in the NICU for several months while also trying to save some time for when they're able to come home. It is very stressful and a struggle for so many NICU parents, especially mothers. To add to it, so many mothers, like myself, also had to take time off prior to the delivery due to pregnancy complications and often being put on bed rest. So it is a common issue that needs some additional attention to better support NICU families. I hope you found some value in hearing these global recommendations developed by the World Health Organization. As I mentioned, all of the recommendations are evidence-based, and they have been reviewed by several committees through several stages to ensure the validity of each one. The information is very important and meant to help guide the clinical practice for NICU managers, nurses, advanced practice nurses, and or neonatologists. Additionally, it is key for policymakers and supervisors to be updated on the new recommendations as well as NICU parents so you know as a parent what the global recommendations are for the care of your preterm or low birth weight infant. We at Empowering NICU Parents want to help provide you with appropriate evidence-based education so you feel more confident in caring for and advocating for your infant. Remember to grab your free PDF of these recommendations by heading to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash W-H-O. As always, if you know of someone who would gain some value from this episode or any of our podcasts, please consider sharing it with them. For the links of the previous podcasts and sponsors mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 44. Thank you for tuning in to the Empowering NICU Parents podcast and have an amazing day. Remember, once empowered with knowledge, you have the ability to change the course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Empowering NICU Parents podcast. For the show notes and any links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to hear. So make sure you let me know in the comments section. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a rating. Five stars would be awesome so we can help other NICU families. Remember, 
you have any questions or concerns with your NICU baby, please consult their medical care team. Until next time, friends. Bye.